0: Hi, and welcome to Terra Torto's climate podcast. Focusing on developing countries, we hope to cover a range of issues relating to climate change, development, sustainability, conservation, and many more. Today's guest is Rohan Chakravarti. He's a cartoonist, illustrator, wildlife buff, and creator of Green Humor, a series of comic strips about nature. He believes that there is always a funny side to serious things in life. Green Humour is India's first comic strip to be syndicated internationally and runs periodically in newspapers and magazines. Rohan has won awards by the UNDP, Sanctuary Asia, WWF International and the Royal Bank of Scotland for his work. He has authored two books, The Great Indian Nature Trail and Bird Business. I'm Kirti Manyan and I'll be your host for today. Hi Rohan, welcome to our show. We're very excited to have you with us and talking to us all about your work.
1: Thanks a lot, Kirti. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Can you take us through your career arc? You moved from dentistry to cartooning topics like wildlife and conservation. How did you get started in cartooning?
1: Right. So I was studying to be a dentist and by the middle of the course, I realized that peeping into rotten mouths isn't really a career for me. So (laughs) I was also dabbling as a cartoonist. trying out various kinds of cartooning. I I used to draw about social issues, political issues, even, you know, movies and Bollywood. But I wasn't really getting anywhere as a cartoonist. So it was after I bumped into my first wild tigress on a safari that the whole idea of merging cartooning and wildlife uh, struck me. And that's how my, my series was born, Green Humor. And after giving up on dentistry, I worked in animation for four years. And that stint really helped me develop the necessary skills to be a full-time cartoonist.
0: Right. And how do you pick the topics for the day for green humor? Is this something you decide beforehand or is it inspiration strikes you?
1: It's a bit of everything. I always say this inspiration is like a fat gecko on the wall,
0: right? <laughs> it's always worked <laughs> like
1: that for me. And, uh, the perfect idea for a comic strip striking you is a very random process. It, it could happen when you are completely off guard. Or it could happen when you've uh, actually seen an interesting animal on a nature trail or you've read about it in a book or an encyclopedia or uh, you've watched a video on it in a documentary. So uh, various kinds of sources of inspiration and information uh, work for me. I also decide zero down on topics for my comics that may be environmentally relevant at a given time. For example, some of my recent work has included Things like the Amazon fires and even, uh, you know, the Australia bushfires.
0: How do you balance uh, text and visuals in your line of work? I guess it just comes
1: with a lot of uh, practice and time. I'm somebody who thinks visually. I can't think in words. So, you know, I always have to have a very strong visual thought before I go about creating my comics. And once the visual is, is set in my mind, it's easier for me to come up with Captions and dialogues.
0: Right. And do you think your cartoons have gone darker with time in sync with the heavier impact of climate change? Has that happened?
1: Well, I guess the times themselves are getting darker. So, you know, initially when Green Humor began, I used to just do it for fun. When, when it wasn't really my profession, I used to just do it for fun. And all the awareness that was happening as a result of it was, was merely a byproduct but over time with especially after i, I began to get newspaper columns and uh, i began to get longer spaces for my comics i realized that i could tackle a lot more complex information and you know break down uh, complex bits of information to visually pleasing and palatable comics and cartoons especially getting the newspaper columns i began to do it in a more organized manner you know now you'll see a lot of comics that speak about that actually take the trouble of breaking complex information down into simple images. So that is something I have been doing for the last four, four, five years. And the political side of environmental governance and conservation interact and collide the darker the cartoons get.
0: When you talked about breaking down complex bits of information, can you give us an example of that? I know it's a bit difficult. I'm asking you to kind of break down your thought process as such. But do you think it's possible to
1: give me an example of that? Yes, absolutely. So there is this uh, comic strip in my archives about hydral power and Indo-Bhutan relations, the relations between India and Bhutan and how India is sort of pressurizing Bhutan to produce more hydral power because most of the hydral power that is produced in Bhutan is imported by India and how that is impacting a critically endangered species of bird called the white-bellied heron most of the population of this bird breeds in Bhutan. And it's a bird that is dependent on rivers, perennially flowing rivers for for a successful breeding season. And so, this is a comic strip that really breaks down how this bird's biology is dependent on how, you know, India treats Bhutan as a government. So, this is a very complex issue. It's a socio-political issue and it's not just about wildlife and conservation. So, this is one of the One of the most complex issues I have tackled using comics.
0: I think it's very, very fascinating. And given that you're talking about this, you're breaking down complex bits of information. Has there been a direct impact of your work on a project or a a place or a people? Has there been that kind of impact happening?
1: I have witnessed direct impacts of comics on my readers. I can give you a few instances. For example, this comic about... The pygmy marmoset. It's it's the world's smallest monkey. And it's threatened by illegal pet trade. It's found in the Amazon basin. I did a comic about this issue and uh, it got published in in Go Comics. It's an American website for comics. Somebody from Peru wrote to me saying that he was uh, considering buying this monkey as a pet, but he read my comic and refrained from doing so. So that's one instance. My comic strip could actually save the life of a wild animal. And I, I think that's for a person... Sitting and creating comics in India, uh, to have an impact of that sort in in Peru is an achievement of sorts. Some of my comics on issues like civet coffee, we all know how unsustainably and unethically it is produced. Civets are captured in cramped cages, fed only coffee beans. You know, it's a big fad that's something that is eco-friendly in Southeast Asian countries. So I have comics that speak about the unethical side of civet coffee. And a lot of readers who are tourists have responded uh, saying that they have changed their habits and they do not purchase Cibit coffee anymore. There have been cartoons about, say, eco-friendly sanitary products available in India. And a lot of female readers from within India have uh, written to me saying that that comic propelled them to make the switch to eco-friendly products. As and when the readership increases, I also begin to see more tangible impacts of my work.
0: I love the connections that are actually happening because the work that you're creating. Given the nature of your own work and the way you try and connect with readers, so what is the kind of larger role that media and people in your profession, people who are writers can actually do to increase awareness, not just about climate change, but also about generally being environmentally sustainable, have eco-friendly patterns, that kind of thing?
1: So I have a big complaint with the way Information on environmental issues is disseminated. You can open any newspaper. Things like, you know, how many children a celebrity couple is having makes to the front page of a newspaper, but all the <laughs> environmental issues are sidelined. And these are things that I mean, environmental issues and even a lot of wild animals that we don't don't know about impact our lives a lot more directly than celebrities or politicians do. So I feel that there has to be an entire restructuring of the the order in which news appears in a newspaper or or in a television show. So that's one area where this whole format of news and presentation needs to change. Another is that environmental information always comes with a lot of scientific jargon, which it repels a layman from engaging with it. And, uh, you know, that is where creative communication really comes handy. And that's, that's an area where I think a lot of creative communicators like me would will be playing a major role in the years to come to eliminate that kind of jargon and, you know, make that piece of information enjoyable and palatable. Do you think the
0: nature of journalism itself has changed or do you think it's still the same status quo?
1: I wouldn't say so. I really think that the nature of journalism is changing and, you know, not for good. I remember a time when, uh, you know, news was reported in a very matter of fact way and, you know, that's the way it should have been continued to to do, but now there's a lot of i'd say it's it's more of acting and less of news presentation and <laughs> yeah, I, I have a huge problem with that
0: right, okay, and in this context, you are talking about how you know information gets disseminated. How has social media worked out for you? Is it reach versus trolls, and how do you balance this out? Can you give any examples of any interaction you've had good, bad, ugly?
1: Well, see, social media has been a double-edged sword. Mostly, it has been advantages for my work. Most of my professional work appears in newspapers and the trouble with that is that only a certain age group reads the work that is published in newspapers. But with social media, I've been able to multiply my outreach. I've been able to reach out to people from various age groups, much younger who don't even know that my columns exist in newspapers engage with me on social media. So, that's been a plus. I've also gotten a lot of projects, especially from abroad, because of the stuff I publish on social media. So again, that's been another plus. The flip side has been that people faithful to the ruling government in India have a very low threshold for criticism that results in a lot of negative interaction. And I don't know if I should use the word trolling, but on a much larger magnitude compared to, you know, a few years back these days.
0: And do you engage with the trolls or is it you just have learned to ignore it? Oh, well, I used to when I wasn't as
1: busy. Now that right. I'm learning the art of ignorance with every passing day.
0: <laughs> so you said that, you know, you reach out to people who don't access newspapers. How about younger readers or let's say right. school kids? Is this a section of the population you've tried targeting through any form? Is it a workshop you've done or is it something you've done to kind of reach out to them?
1: Well, I have uh, created four uh, children's books with a publisher called Pratham Books in India. These have been written by a friend of mine who's a writer who does a lot of work on wildlife called Sejal Mehta. She wrote these four books and I illustrated them. And these are all on Indian wildlife. I've recently also written and illustrated a book on snake bite awareness in India. And this is meant for kids, especially from uh, rural areas, from places around agricultural fields. And these are kids who come in direct contact with snakes more often. So this is a comic book on snakebite awareness for kids. And I'm doing a lot of work also with forest departments across the country to reach out to an audience that is not just younger, but also does not speak English. Most of my professional cartoons and comics appears in English in the newspaper. So in order to break that barrier, I'm, you know, engaging with forest departments to translate a lot of my work into local languages and present it to audiences of all ages, but mostly... Younger people.
0: Yeah, Sajid should be talking to us next week. Actually.
1: Oh, fabulous!
0: Yeah, a question on the book on snake bites. Is this in English? Yeah, it has been Is
1: created it? in English, but it's going to be translated into nine regional languages. Yes.
0: Oh wow, that's brilliant! That that means it's it's going to reach to a whole bunch of people who don't have access to English. Exactly. Oh, that's fabulous news! Thank you. So you have over. 500 cartoons out there. Any favourites, you know, which still strike a chord with you?
1: I'm usually extremely critical of my work and I don't remember any of the work I like. But but yeah, I think I keep going back to uh, some of the cartoons that have the right balance of science and humour in them. So, for example, there's this one cartoon about Arctic turns. Arctic terns are the longest migrating birds in the world. They uh, travel all the way from the North Pole to the South Pole and back every year. So there's this cartoon about a bunch of Arctic terns in the South Pole facing penguins and they're mimicking polar bears from the North Pole in that panel. And in the other panel, they're in the North Pole with polar bears and they're mimicking penguins from the South. So that's one cartoon that, you know, makes me laugh to this day. In your
0: experience, what kind of issues have resonated with readers like is has been specifically wildlife you know you're talking about governmental issues or a specific reading to the environmental department something like that or what kind of issues actually makes people tick and then like say oh my god that really got me
1: if i evaluate what kind of issues have been read and consumed most often i would say that is the stuff i present in the most personal manner Regardless of what I'm presenting, if it's something about wildlife biology, if it's something about climate change, if it's something about personal habits that could affect environment and climate, it's not more the subject of the comic strip that makes it resonate with the readers, but presented how much I can personalize. So for example, you know, when I compare the coating habits of a wild animal to, to human blind dating and Tinder you know, things like that really make a mark on my readers. So yeah, I think the the more a communicator can personalize the content, the better it is
0: consumed. Mm, Sounds good. Have you been inspired by any cartoonists or artists in the same genre? And what specifically about their work did you like?
1: At least the the style of humor I use, I think has come uh, reading a lot of Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. And I think The element of cynicism in his humor is something that really appeals to me. As an illustrator, I'm really inspired by the work of Charlie Harper. You know, he brought in a lot of mischief in fine art and he would uh, draw stuff about animal biology and a lot of his work is on birds. And his style of illustrating birds has directly inspired my, my latest book, Bird Business, which is also on bird biology. So yeah, I think these are two people I would really like to name here, Bill Watterson and Charlie Harper.
0: You've released two books. Can you give us more details on them?
1: My first book is called the great Indian nature trail. It's a comic book on Indian wildlife. It's been published by WWF India. My second book is called bird business. It's about bird biology and it gives you an insight into the daily lives of Indian birds, hundred species, all in illustration. And this book has been published by BNHS. Right. And the book Abbas is
0: something that's coming out this year.
1: Yeah, hopefully next month in April it it should be out in print.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. I think I'm going to look forward to that. Thank you. Lastly, what do you think is the future of cartooning and climate change? And what kind of advice would you give to people who are considering a career in cartooning?
1: It's both bright and dark because, you know, print is dying and that's completely shutting down an avenue, a very big avenue that used to exist and led to a lot of daily interaction between a cartoonist and his reader through his work. So with the print, you know, suffering such a blow, it does look a bit dark, but at the same time, the web is expanding. And although, uh, you know, the internet and the cartoonists haven't really figured out what to do with each other, there are various avenues opening up. I foresee that cartoonists my age and younger than me will be looking to tap into. And the more effectively that happens, the better it is for this art form. With various uh, things like merchandising and online patrons, you know, consuming cartoons, I think uh, there's also a bright side to it. So my advice would be to just tap into as many avenues online as you can as a cartoonist and see how it goes. And and of course, never stop daydreaming. That's <laughs> the potential part of doing what I do.
0: And what do you think about cartooning and climate change? Do you think that's something that's going to expand as a role?
1: Absolutely. I, th- I think A lot of cartoonists who don't really concern themselves with, you know, environmental issues as a profession are also trying to include environment and related topics in their work increasingly these days. So I think there's quite a bright prospect on that front. Uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm sounding optimistic or pessimistic here, but yeah, definitely looks like a, a bright area to step into.
0: Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rohan. I had a lovely time talking to you.
1: Thanks, Kirti. It's all day.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate the time you've taken to talk to us. Thank you very much.